Good morning, everybody. All right. Open your Bibles to uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to close this chapter out today. And um, I just want to remind you again, um, the Apostle Paul in chapters 5 through 7 is dealing with the sexual immorality of the church, the sexual immorality of the church. And he's dealing with it head on, but I want you to see he deals with it by trying to remind the church of who they are in Jesus. You know, we live in a world with a serious identity crisis, right? Uh, people, uh, men, women, whatever, we're, we're, I mean, it's just, this, it's catastrophic in some ways. But even then, back then in the church, they were living with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And, um, gosh, and uh, one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And, and, and the church was leaning towards the world. They were still living by the power of their flesh, um, they're living in their pride and their ego. They're trying to satisfy the desires of their flesh. And they, remember, the Apostle Paul established this church, Acts 18. He was there for a year and a half. So he knows these people personally. And I, I don't know about you guys, but when you know somebody personally and you see them in error, where their life begins to go astray, it hurts you. <clears throat> you care for them. You, you don't want to see them walk away from Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to bring them back to the reality of who they are in Jesus and the reality of what the death and resurrection of Christ should mean in our lives every day. Um, who was talking just the other day about it? Um, how, how the empty tomb speaks volumes to us. And if you think about it, in the life of Jesus, how it speaks volumes to us about our worth and about our eternal destiny. And God wants to, us to live in that reality now. If you go back one verse with me to verse 11, remember how we closed out last week. The Apostle Paul said this, as he lists all these, sin, all these sinful practices, in verse 11 he says this, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So again, I want you to think about this. How often, in, in all honesty, do you think about you were washed? You were washed. And do you remember the filth of the world? I do. It's very, it's a reality to me, my life outside of Jesus, that bondage and the guilt that I carried and the shame that I carried, right? And then also the damage that has been done to us. And as Christ came in and he washed me clean and I found myself being changed and transformed into the person that God wanted me to be. And then he reminds me, it's not by works. You are justified by faith alone. Walk in faith. Now he goes on, and we're going to deal with the mindset of the Corinthian church. Look at verse 12. He says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So why does he say this? See, the Corinthian church, what was one of their hang-ups? What was one of their issues of area of pride? What was it? Do anybody remember? Philosophy. Right? They're thinking they know better. And with philosophy, you know, you ask questions, right? And then you come to these conclusions by asking questions, Socratic, the Socratic method. So when Paul would say, all things are yours, when, when, when they, when, I want you to think about it this way. When Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. So let's get this idea of freedom. Now, if I'm an immature believer... I'm not going to understand freedom in light of the Spirit of God. I'm going to understand freedom in the light of what I can get away with, right? How far can I get close to the line without going over it, right? I mean, come on, be honest. We did it as kids. We do it as adults. It's like, I remember Sevi when he was in the hospital, always negotiating, always negotiating with the doctor. 
He, he negotiates with me, right? Well, when you say no, well, how definite is that no? Like, if, if we just change some of the, the way we say something, can maybe I do it then? It's like, no, no means no. But how definite is that no, right? And so the Corinthians here, they're going, hey, man, all things are lawful for me. I'm saved by grace. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, God loves me. I can do what I want. But I, notice, I want you to see two things that Paul says. Is it helpful? Is it helpful? This, this mindset you have, and I want you to see a couple of translations. That the New Living Translation translates it this way. Verse 12, I'm allowed to do anything, but, but not everything is good for you. And even though, he says, I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. The Message Bible translates it this way. Just because something is technically legal doesn't mean that it's, uh, that it's spiritually appropriate. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could get, get, get by with, I'd be a slave to my whims. So here's the thing. Again, going back to what he says in this script, all things are lawful for me. All things are lawful for me. But here's the question you should ask, but are all things helpful? Helpful in what? See, I, if I said to you, you are free, woman caught in adultery, right? Remember what Jesus says to her? He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and do whatever the heck you want. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. So the question we have to ask ourselves as we come to any situation, relationship, diet, alcohol, smoking, TV, ice cream, whatever it is. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I come from a family of diabetics, right? That donut is as bad as heroin for them, right? Sugar, that's all it is. And we have it here. We're not trying to pawn anything off on you guys, right? But I want you to think about this. As I ask myself this question, all things lawful for what? Lawful in the sense of this, to draw me closer to the Lord, See, the question isn't, how much can I get away with? The question should be, is this going to draw me closer to the Lord? Is it helpful for what? In obeying the Lord, in loving my neighbor as myself, in obeying God's word, is it helpful? And if the answer is no, then don't do it, right? Don't do it. But so often, again, we're just as carnal as the Corinthian church, we seek to satisfy our flesh, we seek to satisfy these appetites that we have. And it's not just the appetite towards sexual morality like they were dealing with, but so often it's our pride. Do I, I have, I've had people come up to me, do I have to forgive? And I'm like, well, do you want to be forgiven? You know, I'll, just, I'll just tell you what Jesus says. Do you want to be forgiven? Well, yes, and then yes, you need to forgive. But I, I want you to see this. So again, is it helpful? Then he goes on, he says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Is it helping me to freedom in Christ? Freedom in Christ. What does that mean? Am I giving into the power of the flesh or am I giving into the power of the Holy Spirit? This is, these are the questions we have to ask ourselves. I love this quote. Freedom is not the power to do as you please, but the power to do as you should. Okay, I want you to say that again. Freedom is the power to do, not, the freedom is not the power to do as you please, but the power to do as you should. Freedom should never lead us towards slavery, right? Children of Israel were free, but where do they want to go back to? 
place of slavery. Why? Oh, the leeks and the garlic and the meat was so good. Oh my gosh, Egypt was so awesome. It's like, it, was that before or after you threw your firstborn into the Nile? Was that at, before or after they beat you with whips? I mean, what, what part did you enjoy the soup so much that you forgot the bondage? So again, when, when the, the Corinthian church was dealing, this, dealing with the power of freedom in a carnal way, Freedom about themselves, freedom about their flesh, to satisfy their flesh, not to please God and be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys. So often I think the church, we, and I'm talking about the church as, at large, we make a mistake because so often we lose the power of God's love because the, God's, the idea of the world loves the accepting of everything, but that love leads to bondage. It leads to death. And the love of Christ leads to wholeness and healing, and it leads to salvation and eternity. So again, they're like going, well, hey, man, all things are lawful for me. And Paul's looking at him like, come on, man, you're talking to me. You're talking to me. I know what you're playing with. You're playing with fire. Quit messing around. Because what they were doing, I want you to understand something, what they were doing was allowing their bodies to direct them, not the Holy Spirit. So Paul, here in this chapter, he's going to remind them, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't you know that? You're a member of the body of Jesus Christ. Don't you remember? Why do you keep going back to the world? It's never, ever going to satisfy you. Let's go on to the next two verses, verses 13 and 14. He says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord will also raise up us, raise us up by his power. Now, the message translates it this way. I love it. He says, you know the old saying, first you eat to live and then you live to eat? Well, it may be true that the body is only a temporary thing, but that is no excuse for stuffing your body with food or indulging with sex. Since the master honors you with the body, honor him with your body. So what's he drawing on here? Again, freedom to satisfy what? We all get hunger, right? All of us get hunger. But what is he saying here? The day is coming where the body will no longer fight against the spirit. The day is coming where your body will no longer dominate. Your stomach will no longer dominate you. Man, nothing makes me more scared than when when my daughter and my wife get hungry, right? Right? Nothing scares me more than when my son comes in the house like an angry bear because he wants to eat. And you know what we always say? We're just like Esau. I'm starving. I'm starving. No, you're not. You've got a good 30 days to survive just on, that, on this alone, right? Your body's going to be just fine. But so I want us to see this. The, the, this thing, that this temporal thing dominates us where what we should dominate us is the eternal things. I would encourage you guys, fast. Fast once a week. Just from sun up to sundown. Put your stomach in check. Because by putting your stomach in check, you also put the appetites of your flesh in check. When you take that time, of, instead of eating and satisfying your flesh, you take that time to give yourself to the Lord. But again, the, the Corinthian church here, the Christian church here, they're looking at their appetites as being all like all-powerful. These are the things that we should do with our body. And Paul's like, no. 
Because again, when we give in to the flesh in one area, it's much easier to give in the flesh in the other areas. You give in the flesh in your anger, you might give into it in the area of lust. You might give into it, you know, um, in the area of like gluttony. And, and the thing about gluttony, again, people have weight problems and trauma, and they might, it comes out in different ways, right? And we, got, we, and we got to understand that. But I'm talking, you know your body, you know what you give into. And the thing about it is, we cannot allow the appetites to take hold of us. We got to allow the Holy Spirit to take hold of us. And in His grace and His love. So when we think about this, they were thinking like, what's the big deal? My body, it's, come on, who cares? It doesn't matter what I do with my body. Yes, it does. It doesn't matter how I live. Yes, it does. It matters what you do with your body. Now, if you look at any church history, any church history, especially when Rome was at its power, at its zenith, what set the Christian apart was not just their faith and not just their love for each other. It was their sobriety and how they used their bodies. Because the Romans indulged in their lust. They used their slaves to satisfy their lust. And when a person came to Christ, they said, man, I'm, I'm getting married and I caught my limit. I'm not sleeping around. I'm not playing with this stuff anymore. I'm going to live my life for the Lord and the world's going to know I'm different. And they got mocked for it. They got mocked for it. And I remember one time I was dating this gal. She was a tennis player. And she told me this. And I actually, I was complimented for once. And um, she was on the bus with all her girlfriends going to their tournament. And the girls began to talk about their boyfriends. They began to talk about their, what they're doing in their, in their private time. And they said to her, hey, you've been dating your boyfriend for a while. What's he like in bed? And she goes, I wouldn't know. Oh, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with him? Doesn't he like you? Doesn't he want you? And she goes, well, I know he likes me. Well, what's wrong with him? She goes, nothing's wrong with him. He respects me. And that bus shut down real quick. I said, what did they say then? She goes, she didn't say nothing. And then she says, does your boyfriend respect you? And I thought, and that's the Christian thing. Why? Why wouldn't I do that? Did I not desire? Of course I desired her. I wouldn't be dating her if I didn't think she was hot. She was a tennis player. She had great legs, Right? But you know what? I was a Christian, and I knew what the Bible taught. And I'm not saying I, didn't, I wasn't hungry. I was starving. But I knew I wanted to live my life for the Lord, and I was going to submit to Him. And it's not easy. <laughs> We've all been there, right? But it was the right. I don't regret it. If I saw her right now, I wouldn't be like, oh, man. Oh, hey, how you doing? No, it's like, hey, how's it going? Oh, hey, nice to meet your husband. No shame there. But I want us to see this. They were, they were getting things wrong. And I want you to see what he says. Look what he says again. He says, food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach is meant for food. And God will destroy one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. We are not meant to be lived promiscuous lives. We are not meant. It is inconsistent. Why? It's inconsistent with how God designed us. It's not just about the body. We're going to see that in a minute. It's about our emotional well-being. As human beings, we tear at our soul when we connect with the, I mean, I, I, know, I have had friends of mine that I grew up with that have never gotten married. They've just slept around from coast to coast, and there's almost an inability in them to trust and to love and to forgive. They've just satisfied. It's like you see someone just eating all the time. Like, oh, eat whatever you want. And it's like after a while, when you, I mean, an 18-year-old boy can eat whatever he wants. A 38-year-old man cannot, 
right? Eight-year-old boy just macking. You know, like, where does it go? I remember it happened to me. Like, I think I hit 35. And when I hit 35, I put on 10 pounds like that. I'm like, what happened to me? I used to be able to eat a candy bar and donuts and everything every day. Like, you know, what's going on with me? My body's like, it's slowing down, dude. We're giving up on you, right? But I want you to see something. We're not meant to be. Our bodies are meant for the Lord. God designed us for himself. I really want you to think about that. And he designed us, and he's for our body. We're looking at it like it's a temporary thing, like it's disposable, right? We're dying, it's disposable. And I hate, this is, I think this is an example, it's like one step outside. But you know when people like say, don't take care of the earth, like, it's all going to burn anyways. Well, it's not what Jesus said, not what God said. He said, I'll give you dominion to what? To care for it, not to destroy it. God give us dominions over our bodies, not to use them, but to care for them. Because what? They're sacred to God. You're sacred to God. Your body is sacred to God. And I want you to see how he says it here, because he says it in this way. He says, the body is not meant for um, sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for our body. Why? And God raised up the Lord and will raise up your, raise us up by the power of the power of the resurrection. He didn't leave the body of Jesus in the grave. He rose it up, just like our bodies are going to be risen up. Risen up. Risen up. Risen up. But I want you to see this. It's like you, what we do in our body matters. What we do with our body matters. And I'm talking about, especially in the area of sexual morality, drunkenness, addictions. These things destroy the sacredness of our bodies. Why? Why? What's the big deal? Because we become a slave to those things. That's what Paul was saying. You indulge in this, you're going to become a slave to it. If you don't indulge in this, you become a bond slave of Christ. That's the difference. When you're living for yourself, then you're really going to live for yourself, right? And you become a slave to your body. And I've dealt with, I've seen addiction in my own family on every scale. And I've dealt with it in my own life. And it destroys you know, you see those pictures, and they're sad. It's like this person, before they were on meth, and then after they're on meth. Before they were alcoholics, after they were alcoholics. Do they look the same to you? What's happened? They've been destroyed. By what? By their addiction. Now, you see someone who's walking with Jesus. You see someone walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Before Jesus, after Jesus. Which one's better? after, right? I mean, think about it. You think that's by coincidence? No, it's not. We've given ourselves to the Lord. We've given our bodies to the Lord. We've, we trust Him for our future. Do you trust Him for today? And we're meant for this. Now, I want you to think about this too. The body is meant for the Lord. I love how the, the, the message translates it this way. Since the, master's, the master honors you with the body, honor him with your body. Honor him with your body. On, now, let's look at a few verses. So the body is meant for the Lord. What does that look like? Look what Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4. He says this. And he's talking to Satan. Satan's tempting him with food. And he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. How, what does it mean then that we're meant for the Lord? It meant that we're, it's meant that we are to live off what God gives us to live on. And that is his word. 
His promises, the strength that nourishes our soul comes from his word. We eat it, we meditate upon it, we chew on it, and then it is lived out in our lives. It's lived out in our lives. It's a natural thing as I live on the word of the Lord. And I was talking, we're, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, you know, I've struggled my whole life with memorizing scripture. And I've read this Bible over and over. And I will try and memorize it. I used to have cards in my pocket. And I would read it and I would try to memorize it. And then it's like I quiz myself and I'm like, uh, for God so, uh, um, God so, you know, I mean, I'm, I mean, I get that one, right? I got that one. But I mean, all the scripture I've tried to memorize. But here's the thing. When I'm just talking to people, all of a sudden, boom, it just comes out. But it's not under my command. It's under the Lord's command. But it's there. It's in me. And it comes out. Man shall not live by bread alone. What is he saying? You need more than physical nourishment. You were made, you were made to live on the promises of God. It gives you hope, it gives you direction, it gives you purpose. It brings healing to you. It cleanses your mind. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? My word cleanses you. My word cleanses you. As we bathe ourselves in the word, our lives start to come put, 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 get put back together. And once, look what else Jesus said. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. And in that context, God is telling, Moses is telling the children of Israel, hey, remember God fed you with manna in the wilderness. What was he trying to teach you? Man shall not live by bread alone. God has given us something. Look what Jesus says in John 4.34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My food, Jesus says, is to do the will of him who sent me. Now really think about that in your everyday life. What would that look like for us? That when we do God's will, when we do God's will, it strengthens us. When we do God's will, it it gives us the ability now to walk in his spirit and to live out in this world because we're looking to him for that. Again, he says to do his will. Again, if, if you starve yourself, you're going to die. And I'm telling you right now, if, you don't, if you're not doing God's will, you're killing yourself. Spiritually speaking, our hearts get hard. Our minds become carnal. We become more filled with ourselves and our desires and our pride. But if I'm seeking to do God's will, and like I said, Lord, let me help you build your kingdom today. All of a sudden, instead of bringing more war and more anger and more hurt, now the Christian brings peace. We, are, we have the gospel of reconciliation. We have the power to forgive people because Christ has forgiven us. We are loving our neighbor as ourselves. We're showing the world a different way. We're not just playing church. We are the church. It's not given to Sunday. We're the church every day of our lives. And then all of a sudden, in our little spheres of influence, now the kingdom of God comes and people notice a difference in us because our hunger, our, how we get fed is by doing God's will. That, I'm, man, I'm satisfied. See, I, I, think about when you eat. You're hungry. You're hungry. And you eat. What happens? You become satisfied. You're thirsty. You drink. You become satisfied. The same thing in our lives. When we do the will of God, we are content. I mean, I remember a couple years ago, my brother-in-law went to Manhattan. And he told me, he loved it. He goes, oh man, it was awesome. I mean, we were out till two, three in the morning and people, we look in there and people are still working at their desk. They're out there working. They're just, man, they're making money. And so that was his idea, right? 
They had another friend of mine. He's a monk. He's a, a Greek Orthodox monk. He went to Manhattan, and he goes, it's a terrible place. People are slave to their jobs. They're slave to making money. They don't even know what the idea of rest even looks like. All they are is just making money, making money. He goes, and never to enjoy it. He goes, I had to get out of there. Same, same place, saw the same thing, come to two different conclusions. Now, you gotta ask yourself, are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with how you're living your life? Is it bringing peace and contentment to you? Or is it bringing more dissatisfaction and anger and anxiety and frustration? Or you're about like, Lord, use me today. Let me accomplish your will. And you come home and you're just, you're just content. You're at peace and it could be on building a house. It could be plumbing. It could be anything. The job is not matter. It's why we do it and how we do it that matters, right? But so many people, so many of us, we're striving for something that will never satisfy. But when we said, Lord, I want to do your will, oh, I feed my soul. And I'm content. I'm content. God, Paul tells us, man, we can't be indifferent about what we do with our bodies. Because our bodies are going to be resurrected. And they're going to, God's going to inhabit these. And I want to close you with one verse about our bodies again. Romans 12.1. We all know it. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. I give my body to the service of God. And it, I might be here on a Sunday morning when I'm praising the Lord with my voice, which isn't so great, but I can praise Him, right? I can praise Him, but more so even than that, when I go out and I serve my wife, when I go out and I love the unlovable, I'm giving my body as an act of worship to the Lord. And it's not to be bound in legalism, right? It's to be in the freedom that God gives. And he goes on. So what are they doing with their bodies? Well, we'll find out. Look what it says in verses 15 through 18. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who, join, who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body, but sexual immoral person sins against his own bodies. The New Living Translation. Do you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? And should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. <laughs> it's just like, I remember one time watching a movie with my mom. And, and all of a sudden, it was like I heard about this movie. I, came, I was on furlough. And all of a sudden, I'm watching it. You know, and she sits down with me. I'm eating popcorn. And all of a sudden, there's a sex scene. And I'm like, <gasps> you know, I'm like, and I'm like, like trying to, she's like, Armando, what are you watching? You know, and she gets up. I'm like, Mom, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know that was there. I, I mean, I didn't know. And the thing about it is, the Lord, he's like, you're going to take the Lord to a house of prostitution? Would you ever do that? Of course not. Then why are you doing it now? Don't you know you become one flesh with her? That sex is more than skin-on-skin skin action? That there's a, there's a mending of the souls with somebody else? And do you know how the world portrays it? Oh, just, man, just like having ice cream. Feels good, tastes good. Oh, man, it's great, isn't it? Brokenness. 
distrust, the trust issues, right? We all, we've all been there, man. There's a sense of loss. There's a sense of being used. Either you're the one who's been used or you're the one who's using. But in marriage, oh my gosh. It's like, man, it strengthens the bond of marriage. It's, it's a blessing. There's no shame in it. It's a good thing. It's a great thing. Where, when we enjoy it the way it's supposed to be enjoyed, but when we enjoy it outside, all of a sudden now, okay, oh man, does, does she love me? Does he love me? Does he really accept me or does he just want me for that? Do they really see who I am? Probably not. Because we're letting our appetite, again, dictate how we see somebody. There's something to satisfy something in me, but in marriage, it's a giving of myself to my wife and vice versa. And Paul says here again, he's like, man, he would never join your body to a, he would never do that. Because again, we gotta remember who we are. Paul says this in Ephesians, we're members of Christ. In Ephesians 2, 21 and 22, he says this, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. The world, we destroy the image of God within ourselves. In Christ, we're building the image of God in ourselves. When we use it for our, own, for our carnal appetites, we're destroying that what God is trying to build in us. We're the temple of God. So what's his solution? Flee sexual morality. Run for it. Get away. Don't give in to it. Don't be a slave to it. If you're blown it, repent and get back to the Lord. But flee from it. You don't play with that. You, you just get as far away as you can. I love what, how, again, the message, I just love it. It's like a little commentary. He says, there is a sense, this is verse 18, there is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with another. God's like, yeah, I made you. I, I designed sex. I know what it's for. I know where it hits its potential. It's not outside of marriage. It's only inside of marriage. This is where it's supposed to be enjoyed. This is where it's a blessing. And it's, again, it's why? I love what, he's, look what he says again. That, that we're made for God-given and God-modeled love. Not just for carnal lust. Not at all. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we're building ourselves into. He says this, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You are not your own. You are not your own. You are not your own. Christ has bought us off the slave block, and he says, you're mine, and I want you to be free. Why are you going back to the house of bondage? Why are you degrading yourself? Why are you destroying your soul for what? For momentary pleasure? He's like, man. Peter's like, you've been redeemed with gold and silver, but with the precious blood of the lamb. You've been bought back. So what? Use your body to glorify the Lord. Use your words to glorify the Lord. Use your eyes to glorify the Lord. I talk to girls all the time. They'll be like, oh, that guy made me uncomfortable. Why? Just the way he looked at me. It's the way I look at tri-tip. Right? 
I want a oh, tri-tip. And, and these girls are like, oh, he made me feel dirty just how he looked at me. And I've heard guys too, vice versa. The way she looked at me, the one made me want to throw up. Objects to satisfy my carnal desires. Right? And the thing about it is, and I've said this before, I think each one of us would say, I want to be loved for who I am. And this is part of who I am, and it's an important part of who I am, but it's not all I am. I, I, I'll be honest, I, I look at my wife sometimes, and I, I just think she's so cute. And she's like, oh, but I put on a few pounds. Oh, I'm, I wasn't, I'm not like when we got married. I'm like, nope, neither am I. I find you more beautiful now than ever. I don't believe you. I'm like, well, whatever, I'm lying. I'm lying, I'm drinking again, and I'm drunk, and I'm just saying whatever you want to hear. No, I mean, I dig her. I totally dig her. Because it's more than this. We're connected, right? And again, and, and I want you to understand this. We are connected to the Lord. Your body's meant for the Lord to have this connection to God. That's what we are ultimately designed for. And he wants us to enjoy it. We, we're sacred. We're holy ground. We are the burning bush. God, God inhabits us, but we're not consumed. And I want to close with that. Look what it says again in Exodus 3, 2. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, look what it says, He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. See, we, when Moses goes to the hill to meet with God face to face, the children of Israel are terrified. They don't want to go up. But now we go boldly into the throne room of grace because of what Christ has done. Now, here's the thing about this, and I really thought about this. We were talking about it this weekend. But what does it look like to be the temple of the Holy Spirit? You ever thought about that? What does it look like in our human being, in a man or a woman, to be the temple of the Holy Spirit? We find it in the book of Acts over and over again. We see what it looks like. I'm going to give you just one example. It's Stephen. It's Stephen, the guy who was weighing on tables. Remember him? He was helping the widows, the Hellenist windows. But look what the Bible says about him. In, in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, it says this. And what they said, please, so the apostles tell him, get seven guys that are good character, love the Lord. And this is how they describe him. And, and what they said, please the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen. Look what it says. A man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. He's full of faith and the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means he's living by the word of God. That means that he is a man who has now given his life to the Lord. He's given his body to the Lord. He's given his future to the Lord. And he's living by faith. He's living by faith. And again, and in that faith, he, he's emptying himself of his identity in this world. And he's laying hold of his identity in Christ. And now he's full of the Holy Spirit. Remember, we are being built up to be what? Temples. Temples meant to be filled just like God's temple was, Solomon's temple, what happened when they built it? Remember that? Or even, even when, actually with Moses, with the tabernacle, remember what happens? God comes down and what happens? He fills the tabernacle and Moses can't even go inside. Our lives are meant to permeate with the Holy Spirit and that means we live in faith. I trust in the Lord for today, tomorrow, and my future. I trust the Lord. And I was telling the guys this, as I, as I meditate on this idea of being full of faith, I was convicted radically. And I had read this story about an African pastor who had been trained 
at St. Andrews in Oxford. He left Africa. He goes up to Oxford in England. He is trained by probably some of the best theological minds in the world, right? He go, gets his doctorate, and then he goes back to Africa. And as he's in Africa one day, they're in, I think they're in a house or in a service, but all of a sudden, someone collapses. They collapse. The nearest hospital is 45 miles away. So half the guys go, get him in a car. We got to get him in the, to the hospital. The other half go, hey, pastor, you know all about Jesus. Heal him. Because in the African mindset, Jesus is their healer, just like, in the, just like in the Gospels. And so he goes, know what he says? I didn't learn that, Jesus. And when I read that, I'm like, Lord, I've lost you as my healer. So here, now I'm going to say, like, living by faith, and this is a real simple example. If your wife said or your husband said to you, I got a headache, what would be the first thing you do? Get ibuprofen, right? That's not bad. It's a good thing. But I believe in faith. I hope I would say, hey, babe, can I pray for you first? Right? Can I pray for you? And then, go get the ibuprofen. See, faith sees the problem and God's the answer. See, that's faith. Stephen is full of faith. He's full of it. He's like, I'm looking to God, and what, God could do anything. God hears my prayers. God welcomes me into his presence. Faith experiences that. And it's always been this way. That's why Habakkuk would say, the just shall, the righteous, the just shall live by faith. That's why Hebrews 11 is men and women that have lived by faith and they've given all these illustrations and examples of what it looks like. But in Stephen, you see it. Stephen was a man full of faith, so he weighed on tables. Stephen is a man full of faith, so he prayed for people and they were healed. Stephen is a man of faith, so he asked God, fill me with your spirit. You know what else it looks like? Look down a few verses in 6, 8. It says Stephen was full of grace and power. How do you respond when people wrong you? Do you respond in grace? That's what it means to be full of grace. It's not just saying, oh, God gives me grace, I can do what I want. No, God gives me grace, now I give it to all those. And we see it in Stephen, don't we? As they stone him to death, how does the grace come out? Father, forgive them. These knuckleheads don't know what they're doing. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, and that means we're meant to be filled with faith, with the Holy Spirit, with grace, especially for our spouses, especially for our children, especially for our neighbors. That's what it looks like to be filled and being a temple of the Holy Spirit. The the Corinthians were going, oh, I want to use my freedom to satisfy my flesh. Stephen's going, I'm using my freedom to get as close to God as I possibly can. Do you see the difference? I want to challenge you guys this week. Think about it. What would your life look like to be full of faith? What would your life look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What would your life look like if you drank of all the grace you could drink and then you gave away all the grace you can give? When you see the homeless person, he asks you for money. Your grace doesn't go, he's going to use it for something bad. 
Grace says, man, but by the grace of God, there go I. See the difference? I believe when Paul says, you are temples of the Holy Spirit, that's what it looks like. It's not some beautiful structure. It's a life that's been put back together by the love and grace of God. And then we go, God, use me. Use me. Three things in closing. Living, being a temple of the Holy Spirit means living by faith, one. Two, it means living under the, under the authority of the Holy Spirit and with the authority of the Holy Spirit. And third, being a temple of the Holy Spirit means living in grace and giving grace freely. Man, I want to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. I want to be as close to God as I can and use my freedom not to satisfy my flesh, but to be free of my flesh and be free to enter God. Come in boldly. Come in boldly. And let God fill you. Let's pray and get ready for communion. Father, as we come before you now, we ask you, Lord, to meet us here, meet us at your church.